gather here to meet you in your house of praise. We ask, Lord, that you show us the will, your will, and your way for our lives. For we know it is you who works in us both to will and to do your own good pleasure. Forgive us for having failed you. Teach us to walk in your way. Well, different changes to order of service this morning. So it's Ed and I have swapped places this morning. So you'll get preaching from me and then preaching from Ed. <laughs> so this morning we're going to start in the 127th Psalm, uh, verse 3. Um, wanted to look at uh, some things. One of the things I've always been kind of curious about is is how were how were children trained in during the biblical period? Um, I looked at some some scholarly articles and of course through the scripture, which is my our primary source, but um, on how to cultivate a better relationship for the next generation in our in our our church or our assembly here. And one of those things that is is to consider is to consider some of the examples in the past, um, one of the things that I looked at was back to Old Testament time um, in regards to Jewish culture and how parents trained their children and how they, um, of course, managed their household. But particularly, we're going to look at how parents dealt with children. And a good place to start there is exactly what children are. So Psalm 127 verse 3 says, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord, the fruit of the womb, is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children's children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them, and they shall not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. So a particular passage of scripture talking, of course, about uh, the blessings of having children. Of course, in Jewish culture at that particular time in the Old Testament, children were considered a hope for the future generation. So this is how the heritage was going to be carried out through their children. Of course, when you speak of uh, the account of Abraham, of course, over there, let's turn to Genesis chapter 17. Familiar with the, the covenant that God made here with, uh, with Abraham. We'll read verses 1 and 2 of chapter 17. For a little context sake, it says, Now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. And I establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Okay, let's go down, uh, for time's sake, let's go down to verse 7. It says, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants and after you throughout the generations for an everlasting covenant to be the God to you and to your descendants after you. And I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of, the, of your sojournings and the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. And God said further to Abraham, now as for you, you shall keep my covenant and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. 
And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And I'll stop there. So, of course, here we're talking about the Abrahamic covenant with God, in which the uh, <clears throat> observance of circumcision was instituted as a sign of the covenant between God and Abram and his, and his um, descendants. So this was a mark of consecration instead of setting themselves apart for serving the Lord. And it wasn't just good for Abraham, but he wanted him to institute it in his sons and his children's sons. So from there, you see that this is a mark of obedience to other people when they observed that. That they were obeying the God of Abraham. So again, you see, he establishes here Mark and biblical heritage that this was going to be passed down through the generations as a sign of their faithfulness to the Lord. What did he instruct him over there in verse 2 to do? He says, I am the God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will establish a covenant between me and you and I will multiply you exceedingly. So he's talking about he'll cause them to prosper. But it wasn't about him prospering. It was about them being obedient to serving the Lord. So let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 14. Deuteronomy chapter 14. <clears throat> verse, starting in verse 1 there. He says, You are the sons of the Lord your God, and you shall not cut yourselves nor shave your forehead for the sake of the dead. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people of his own possession out of all of the peoples who are on the face of the earth. So again here, he's talking to them as sons. He says he addresses them as sons. Of course, we're talking about the importance of children in this particular stadium, so I'm building some context here. I'll get to the point hopefully shortly. But the identity of sons was Israel, and of course today as it is the, the church. Lord's covenant people. They're identified as sons. I know it doesn't give reference to female, but I believe it's implied there that female it's a reference to the the group there. So <clears throat> let's look at Deuteronomy chapter eleven. Deuteronomy chapter 11, and we'll start in verse 1. It says, You shall therefore love the Lord your God, always keep his charge, his statutes, his ordinances, and his commandments. And know this day that I am not speaking with your sons, who have not known, and who have not seen the discipline of the Lord your God, his greatness, his mighty hand, and his outstretched arm, and his signs and his works, which he did in the midst of Egypt to Pharaoh the king of Egypt, and to all this, his land. And what he did to Egypt's army and to his horses and chariots when he had made the water of the Red Sea to engulf them and they were pursuing you and the Lord completely destroyed them. And what he did to you in the wilderness and to you that had came to the place and what he did to Dathan and Abiram and the sons of Eliab and the sons of Reuben when the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them in their households, their tents, and every living thing that followed them amongst all Israel. 
But your own eyes have seen all the great works of the Lord that he did. And you shall therefore keep every commandment which I am commanding you today so that you may be strong and go in and possess the land of which you were about to cross to possess it so that you may not prolong your days in the land which your Lord swore to, you, uh, to your fathers to give to them and to their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. For the land into which you are entering to possess it is not like the land of Egypt from which you came, and where you used to sow your seed and water it with your, foo- uh, with your foot, like a vegetable garden. But the land into which you are about to cross to possess it, a land of hills and valleys, water, uh, drinks water, from the rain of heaven, and a land for which the Lord your God cares, the eyes of the Lord your God are always on it, from the beginning even unto the end of the year. And it shall come about that if you listen obediently to my commands in which I am commanding you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and all your soul, that he will give the rain to the lands in its season and early and late, that you may gather it in your grain and your new wine and new oil. And he will give you the grass for your fields, for your cattle, and you shall uh, shall eat and be satisfied. Beware lest your hearts be deceived, and you turn away and serve other gods and worship them. Or the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will shut the heavens so that there will be no rain, and, and ground will not yield its fruit. And you will perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. I'll stop there. I've read enough enough passage there. So here in particular, he's again talking to the nation of Israel as they're getting ready to possess the land of Canaan. And you see here as he addresses them, he doesn't say sons, but he addresses them like a father would their children. And what does he talk about? Obedience. He talks about the possession which he's going to, he's promised to them. He talked about those who didn't follow after what he had asked them to do and what happened to them. They were swallowed them up, or they they perished in some way, or how Egypt was destroyed because they pursued them and sought to destroy them utterly. So guess what? Lord said, "All right, you're not gonna you're not gonna follow what I'm what I ask you to do. That's it." But He gave them more than one opportunity. There, they had ample opportunity, as a child does their parent, or parent does their child. Excuse me. So, particularly, he mentions being obedient. That's the the structure we have for children uh, listening to their parents is that they be obedient. The expectation is that in order to succeed, you must obey. Not just for our own benefit, but for the benefit of of the household, right? For the benefit of the assembly. We observe these things because, like children, listening to our parents and obeying them, we have work to do. And obeying the works of the Lord is a command, isn't it? We see here in the New Testament, we see uh, Jesus' instruction to the disciples and things that he talks about there. And what does he talk about? He talks about a faithful obedience. So, why do you think that's important? Because it's important that the heir, they're heirs, aren't they? And if a parent doesn't train their heir up properly, giving them love and compassion 
giving them discipline or correction when they need it? What happens? The parent overdoes that. What happens? The child does not trust the parent, do, do, do they? Now, unlike God, God is incapable of being leading a child in error, right? I mean, that's, that's the standard, isn't it? But being man, we're fallible in the fact that we err in times when we take care of our children or when we teach them. The only time that the Lord exercised great judgment was when there was a total and absolute disregard and disrespect for his covenant. And he still gave them opportunity then. He gave them opportunity to kind of get back in line. Let's look at Proverbs 1. For all intents and purposes, most of our our um, lesson will be in the Old Testament this morning, but we'll have a few places later on we'll, we'll look at. So Proverb 1, of course this is, Proverbs is wisdom, the wisdom from a father. Of course David was, was writing this, but in reference manner he talks about uh, a son and a father. So particularly here we're going to look at Verse 8 there of Proverbs chapter 1. He says, Hear, my son, your father's instructions, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, Come with us, let us lie in wait for blood, and let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol and even whole as to those who go down into the pit. We shall find all kinds of precious wealth. We shall fill our houses with spoil, throw in your lot with us, and we shall have all one purse. My son, do not walk in the way, in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path, for their feet run to evil, and they hasten to shed blood. And I'll stop there. So here is a wisdom imparted from a father to a son here in this proverb. The benefit of the hearer was what? Not to fall into what is considered out of the, the standard norm and accepted principles for a servant of the Lord. The one thing I want to draw attention to is the first couple of verses there. He says, Hear my son, your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. In the Jewish household at the time, both parents were responsible for teaching their children. They didn't have, at that particular time, a public school system. They didn't have any of that. So they were responsible for teaching their children. Looking at some research that I, that I had, that the father was responsible for teaching them to read the scripture and cultivating that relationship uh, and, and reading the word, if they were able to at that time. And the mother was responsible for teaching culture and basically chores, how to do things and how they, how they, man, how they manifested things in their household according to their culture. Interesting thought there. It wasn't just the mother teaching the child, but it was both the mother and the father. 
it's very counter counterculture to what we do today. We place all the responsibility on the mother for the children, but not on the father. They get to do the discipline, but the mother gets to do all the work. That's not what the scripture actually kind of seems to indicate here. It, it, it took both parents. <laughs> it still takes both parents. So, interesting, interesting information there that I found in, in some of that study. Some of the looking through so many scholarly articles about manners and customs. So, of course, in certain parts of the scripture, it talks about, which we'll look at a little later in Ephesians, it talks about children and it talks about slaves. It says they're like the same, aren't they, until the child becomes of age, right? So they're instructed to do this and to be obedient and to carry out the duties that they have been tasked with. But the relationship's not any different. Really, it's not. It's one of, of obedience. So the wisdom is imparted for the benefit of the hearer. So imparted for the benefit of the son here. And the, the admonishment here from, from the Father seems to be for them to remain obedient in the teachings which they've provided to them. They're imparting wisdom so that they can abide in the Lord, right? That's the expectation for a parent or a father to a child, for a mother to a child. Proverbs talks about the pursuit of wisdom of God for his children through a number of things. It provides, wisdom provides security. It provides, provides. It opens your understanding. It also, with you adhering to what is imparted to you, provides favor and happiness or peace. But the specific part of the instruction is the father telling them, heed my instructions, right? He said there, hear my son. That means listen. Listen to me. I'm about to give you something very important. Then he tells them, he says, listen to my instruction. Don't forget your mother's teaching. He says, and they'll be good for you. And then he warns about people that seek to deceive him. Deceive the son. Same thing here. What do you think the Lord tells us in the scripture? He tells us not to be deceived, right? How are we? How do we deceive when we don't pay attention to what the scripture tells us to do? There's some very, very specific instructions for us to adhere to by faith. And of course, when we don't understand it, what do we do? We pray. We ask the Lord to help us to open our understanding. That's what the Spirit is for in the church. It's given as a tutor, a guide, a comforter, sometimes a convictor, and sometimes a little bit of discipline, isn't it? So the, the wisdom imparted here is for him to be careful of who he deals with because there are some people out there in the world that don't have the same thoughts and intents that we do. Just like any child, when you send them off to do something with friends or with someone else, you expect that the wisdom you impart to them is going to be beneficial to them making the right choices. 
we don't provide that instruction to our children, they're not going to know what choice to make, are they? So we take one from the example of the Lord to, to his people. He doesn't fail in giving us the instruction. The only ones that fail are the ones that fail to carry it out, that fail to listen, and fail to trust that what he's given us is good enough for us to do. So, remaining obedient, it sounds like, is important, isn't it? Proverbs are a very rich passage of Scripture when it comes to imparting wisdom to how we can serve the Lord and as He has called us to. Let's look at Proverbs 3, verse 1. says, My son, do not forget my teachings, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him. And he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes, and fear the Lord and turn away from evil, and it will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. I'll stop there. So, he reminds them here, let your heart keep my commandments. Treasure those. And he tells him, he says, the reason why, he says, if you keep those commandments, he says, it'll provide life to you. Your days will be increased. Why? Because there's protection. There's provision there from what would harm if we look to the Lord's commandments and, and observe them. He says, and the last thing he says there on that verse, verse two is that he says, and, and then peace they will add to you. It'll give us peace. And he talks about binding around your neck and riding on the tablet of your heart. Why do you suppose that's important for us to remember? Because that was just, that's a spot of importance there. Write them on the tablet of your heart. What was the heart the seat of? In the Old Testament, it was conceited your convictions. Your, you know, that was thought that that was the heart was it, the conviction. That's where the thought and the 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 intent and purpose behind things came from. It come from the heart, didn't it? So that's why it says, "Run up upon your heart, so that you will do these things." Wear them around your neck. Or bind them around your neck. I don't know. I think and and and. In terms of a of a a pictorial version of this verse, is be that it's like a yoke, but it's a lot easier, isn't it? Binding it around your neck, it's not burdensome, but it's there to remind you. I think about. When I had a conversation with my parents or one of my grandparents when I was growing up, that 
when I did something I wasn't supposed to, most of the case when I was when they were talking to me about it as a as a preteen or teenager, they'd sit down and they kind of hang their arm around my shoulder and talk to me about what was acceptable and what was not, and kind of talk through that. wasn't always that way, but I think about that. It was I had more. It hit me more in those moments than it did when I was when I got a spanking. It really did, because it gave me the understanding of how important it was that I listened to what they were telling me. There wasn't a fear of further punishment. It was comfort. It was comfort to me to know that they cared enough to show me the right way to do things, rather than try to beat it out of me. <laughs> So, again here, he says, So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of man. Typically, with most of uh, the teaching of a parent, especially in Jewish culture, when they would have to send them off, they worked earlier than we did as kids. Now we have laws around child labor, but on farms and things like that, you'll see families work together, children have chores, things that they have to do. It doesn't change that. But when you impart this wisdom and you teach them, you cultivate, you show them how to complete a task. For instance, with Jubilee. Trying to get her to understand how to put away her laundry. Or how to put away her plate or throw away her, a diaper or throw away, you know, do something that's, that's supposed to help the household, right? Keep clean and keep order. One of the things with her is Sometimes she doesn't, she doesn't understand. But I can look at her and tell her, change her, take her clothes off, give them to her and say, okay, I need you to go put this in the laundry. Because I've showed her where the laundry's at several times. We've taught her, kind of built that repetitive habit. She now knows where to go and put the laundry. Now, sometimes she'll take them and she'll put them in the wrong spot. But I pick them up and I give them back to her. Her mother gives them to her and says, Jubilee. That's not where that, go, that goes. It goes in the laundry. She knows I'm talking about her, so. And she'll look at me and go, okay. You know, and she'll run off and go put them there. She's not doing it to be mischievous or to be, you know, uh, evil. She's doing it because she didn't understand that she needs to, why she needs to carry it every single time. Just like my wife has to remind me sometimes to do things. I'll sit down, why'd you do that? I don't know. Well, you need to do this, this, and this. Okay, honey. <laughs> That's why husbands are, are considered like the thir- uh, another child sometimes, unfortunately. <laughs> so, the importance of these instructions here in chapter 3 is to show show what the reward of wisdom is that it's imparted to the hearer and what it's done when it's taken and received and used, right? That's exactly what the scripture's for. The Lord uses it for our encouragement, for our rebuke in some cases, and for our good that we might be successful and that we might accomplish what the Lord desires in us, to have a faithful servant that honors and obeys him with our life and our heart, and all that we have. So you see the the importance there between a a parent raising a child and our walk with the Lord? 
We're children. We're children of the Lord, aren't we? We should be. So if we're children, we're being raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's what we're supposed to do with our children. So just the same way, we should be looking to God for our instruction, for our correction, for keeping us in the way. But it's also for our benefit for the next generation in our church. It's also to teach them and maybe cultivate more disciples for the Lord that we might increase not in just number, but spiritually speaking and and, and the spirit we might grow. So let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 6. Actually, we're going to back up a little bit. We're going to back up to verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, and the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. And these words which I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in the uh, sit in the in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up, and you shall bind them as a sign on your on your hand, and they shall be on the frontals of on your forehead, and you will write them on the doorpost of the house and on your gates. Then it shall come that when the Lord your God brings you into the land which He swore to your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you a great and splendid cities in which they, uh, you did not build, and houses full of good things which you did not fill, and hewn cisterns which you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and you shall eat and be satisfied. Then watch yourself, lest you forget that the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery, you shall fear only the Lord your God, and you shall worship him and swear by his name. And you shall not follow other gods or any other gods of the peoples who surround you. For the Lord your God in the midst of you is a jealous God. Otherwise the anger of the Lord your God will be kindled against you, and he will wipe you off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord God to test as you tested him at Massa. And you should diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes of which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, and it will be well with you, and that you may go in and possess the good land of which the Lord swore to you to give to your fathers. We'll stop there. So again, the same same type of instruction here as a father with their children. He talks about Israel. Israel, his child. His chosen one. Ed, remind me what Israel means. And you, do you know the meaning of the word Israel? I should, and I'm like, I can't remember it either. It just left my brain. But it speaks to something like, like that, being chosen. 
if I'm not mistaken. I'll I'll try to look that up later and reference that again. But but it says in one of the things here is he's talking about it. He says, Oh Israel, I need you to listen to me. Hear, hear, O Israel. He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. One of the most quoted passages of scripture in the world today. So, what's the importance of that? Instructing him that they, if they listen and they love the Lord, that they'll do what's right. But it's with all of their being, not just part of it. I know most of the time when I would do something and I do it half-heartedly, I would still get instruction and correction on what I did incorrectly, right? Even today with my wife. Or, so, you know, Donna's not here to defend herself, but she does a pretty good job in keeping... Triumphant with God. Wrestles with God. God contended. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Brother Tony. I appreciate that. There's meaning behind those words, isn't there? So, the the way to be triumphant with God is to do exactly what he's instructing him here, isn't it? Kind of interesting that that name goes right along with the instruction there, doesn't it? He doesn't make mistakes. It says, And these words of which I am commanding you today shall be in your hearts, and you shall teach them diligently. Okay, here's some instruction here. He's telling the children of Israel to teach their sons. And talk to them when you sit in the house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. It gives a little more look into this, that it's not just we talk about the Scripture on Sunday, or on Wednesday night, or those times when we set aside to meet. But it gives the thought that that's to be a pervading thought and a pervading teaching all ongoing, right? In every facet of our lives and our time that we spend with our children, same thing with the Lord. We spend time with the Lord, we're supposed to fill our life up with that, aren't we? So that means that we're to be diligently seeking the Lord, Right? Wouldn't be any different for us to teach our children to be diligent to seek the Lord, right? So, as, as it was manner in Jewish custom, of course, the father began teaching, I believe it was age three. As soon as they were old enough to focus and, and to be able to walk and do some of these things, they went to work. They started doing, teaching them about reading, if they could do that. They were, if the household was capable of that or whatever it was that they were going to be tasked with in that household, whatever they were, their business was or whatever they were work they were doing, they began to teach their children how to be successful. Of course, just like in today's society, you have households that didn't do that, and they were the dregs of society, weren't they? But the common, the common or the average teaching was is that they started at age three, and they trained their children up how they should be the next generation. So the next part of that is, if we didn't train our children properly, where are they going to be? They're not going to be here, are they? When we look at our church building and we see that there are folks that aren't here, two things happen. We either didn't teach them right 
or they didn't listen. That's the, that's the, that's the blunt truth in that. We either didn't impart that wisdom to them as that should have been, or they didn't hear it. We can't beat ourselves up over the past, but we can look to the future and know what we are supposed to do with the Lord's work. And here he instructs them to teach diligently, so to show them in earnest, keep teaching them. But it requires us to do it all the time. So, why do you think that was important? He had to teach them to how to be able to handle the ways of the world. Right? That's, how, that's what the instruction of a parent is to a child. How to go out and to be able to handle the things that are not a part of the household teaching. Right? Let's look at Exodus chapter 6. Got about five more minutes. I'm gonna I'm not gonna finish, but that's okay. Exodus chapter six, verse seven. It says, Then I will take you for my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will bring you into the land which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you for possession, for I am the Lord. So Moses spoke thus to the sons of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses on account of their own despondency and cruel bondage. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, let your son, the sons of Israel go out of his land. But Moses spoke before the Lord, saying, Behold, the sons of Israel have not listened to me. How then will Pharaoh listen to me? For I am, an unskilled, I am unskilled in speech. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron and gave them a charge to their sons of Israel and to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the sons of Israel out of the land. So, instruction was is to go and bring them out of the land of Egypt, out, out from under the bondage there. And he says, Moses said, they're not going to listen. They've not listened to me because of their, their cruel bondage, their despondency. They're, they're down in the mud, aren't they? But the Lord charged them. He gave them instructions of what to go and say to them, didn't he? And of course we know the rest of that. The, the plagues, the, the rod and the serpent and the things that were carried out there that got their attention, wasn't it? Got the attention of, of the Egyptians, hopefully. But it didn't get Pharaoh's attention because his heart was hardened. As by the Lord's design. But the instruction there was for them to go and to impart this to the sons of Israel. And Moses is like, look, they're not going to listen to me. <laughs> God says, you're still going to go and do it. Then you see in the prophets the same thing. They were charged with going and speaking. Jeremiah was charged with going and speaking to the, to the children of Israel, weren't they? Wasn't he? Excuse me. Can't speak this morning. And what happened to them? He was tasked with telling them, but the Lord told them, they're not going to hear you. <laughs> and guess what? The ones that do, good. The ones that don't, we've, give, we've done everything we can do, right? Same thing with our children. At some point, you've got to go, I've given you everything I can give you. Are you going to do it or are you not going to do it? And you have to let them go. Then the choice is theirs. 
So, no surprise there. One quick inform informatic here is that fathers were considered the primary educator of the household. So, that's a pretty interesting, interesting tidbit there. And more information on, on the mother's responsibility. I know I talked about social customs. It was, they taught traditions of language. They taught social, cult, social, social or cultural practices. And of course, the parent taught them biblical teachings, reading. He was in charge of that, um, that role there. So you see how they work together as a family unit to provide education for their children. Not just in the ways of the scripture, but also in the ways of how they're to conduct themselves and how they're, what's expected of them in their household and what's expected of them in their, in their culture. As a society today, we don't see much of that, do we? Cultural, cultural practices. You don't see teaching about traditions of language so that they can understand where things come from, right? We live in a fast-paced fast-paced society now where the meanings of things frequently change and lose their context. There are things now that I hear, I'm like, what is that? I don't, and I have to ask, I, I, I have to be ignorant, but I ask them, like, what, what does that mean? Samuel will tell me to be just something way off on the other end of the spectrum I wouldn't think it would be. And I'm like, well, that doesn't make much sense. And then I'm reminded, well, you know, culture, things change. People intentionally change the meaning of something to water it down. Think about what the scripture talks about, about discipline. There's something that's misconstrued most of the time. When you look at the particular passage of scripture, I won't turn over there because of time. I'll try to wrap things up. The word, the rod there of discipline that's used over actually yeah uh let's turn over to psalm real quick we'll finish with this and then we'll stop um let's see here the 23rd psalm is where we'll turn y'all have heard me talk about this a little bit but i think it's good to cover in this so he talks about Let's go down to verse 4. It says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. That rod there is kind of like a shepherd's hook. It's not a club. It's not a belt. It's something used with reference to correcting or guiding. Shepherd's hook was used to, used, it had a crook. It was a long stick and it had a crook in it. Sorry, I didn't mean to hit that. It had a crook in it. And what it was used? It was used to guide those sheep back in line, wasn't it? Sometimes it was a little harder than others, but, but the intent wasn't to harm the sheep, but the intent was to protect the sheep and provide it some discipline so it, know it knew where it needed to stay with the group, right? That was the shepherd's charge over his, like watching his children. Lift them out of the ditch. Lift them out of the ditch. It was not meant, when it talks about discipline, it was not meant for beating. <laughs> so there's a common misconception in modern society and in Christian society that spanking was appropriate. 
And like I've heard the question asked, what's the difference in spanking? What's the difference in beating? You have to look at that. Coming from a household where whippings were not very, uh, not very um, good. Sometimes they crossed the line in my family with that. So you would see that if they did that, particularly when it talks about uh, Jewish culture, one of the articles I was reading spoke about how beating was prohibited. They could only use certain items to discipline. That was part of the Talmud or the teachings there. And the reason for discipline was not for fear. Oh, was not for fear. Uh-uh. So why was it why was it not why was it prohibited? It was because through beating it would damage the parent child relationship. It would cause them to fear or to hate rather than to love, right? And what does the scripture teach us about love? Our God is a loving God, isn't he? He's a jealous God. And he's a God that does provide discipline. But he does it for our own good because he loves us. So why would a God allow such action to take place where you would provide harm to, to a child or cause them not to be able to understand how to handle their emotions? The point is, is that we teach our children how to handle their emotions and how to handle their their how to handle and manage disappointment and difficulty as well as handling the good things, right? The proper way. So I'd encourage you to take a look at that. There's, there's some things that have been misconstrued in modern Christian culture that's not correct. But upon further examination of Scripture, you see the perfect intent behind what the Lord set this up. And we'll stop there, and I'll probably pick up with this uh, and later this evening in the evening service and finish that out. So a uh, good stopping point uh, here. This evening we'll pick up in Ephesians chapter 6. So um, hope that everyone will uh, be able to get some encouragement out of that. If not, we'll have a recording of that. Apostle Paul speaking. To the, Corinthian, or to the Roman church, Paul says, Paul And I'll begin reading in verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches of both the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who, who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Can you imagine counseling God? The God who created you? No. Nobody has. Or who has first given to him that it might be 
paid back to again. Well, God has given us everything from from life when we were born, all through all the good things that we've had in our lives. Living here on as Americans, I mean, we are blessed on in this country. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. So we can't give anything to God that he hasn't first given us. So everything we have should be in his care. Put it but in his service, not in our own service. I mean, certainly he knows we need food and water and clothing and things like that. But our God it should be our central focus. He should be the one that we want to please, not ourselves. And we should use the things that we have not only for our own good, but for our neighbors as well. Jesus said, love God above all others and my neighbor as thyself. As much as you do yourself. Wow. Let's go on reading into chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, your reasonable service. That's only reasonable. That's not going out of your way. That's not a big thing. He's given you everything you've got. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is and that which is good and acceptable and perfect. You, so that you can prove that. Now what does it mean? What does proving mean? Does it mean testing it? Well yeah, but more than that, you are to be an example of what you've learned from God and of what you know of his mercy. You are to show that mercy. You are to be giving God the praise for everything that you have. So we are to practice righteousness. It will be seen where? In our service to God and to our neighbors, to our friends, to the people around us, our neighbor. Remember what the neighbor is? He's your boss, he's your, <laughs> your enemy. Yeah, they are neighbors too. Okay. So, if we are to be led by the Holy Spirit in our lives, um, and that is required of us. Let, 
let's see, where am I in my notes here? Uh, let's turn to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm going to read a little bit longer reading here, so I'm going to begin in verse 4. Here the Apostle Paul is talking to the Corinthian church that he had to correct on several, several different counts. But he's saying, he's telling about how he came when he was preaching to them. He says, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. He says, I wasn't just coming here with a lot of flowery speeches like the Roman government did oftentimes. He said, no, I, I didn't come with that. I didn't want that to be what you were trusting in. But in demonstration of the spirit and of power, the power of God, as was seen in Paul's life. And so he says, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men but on the power of God. That's where you put your trust. Paul said, I don't want you to trust in me as a flowery orator. And that's what the Roman government oftentimes did. Whoever could present their case more eloquently was usually the one, you know, it says, the, the hinge that squeaks the loudest gets the grease. <laughs> well, here, He's saying that's not the case. But the power of God in Paul's life was what he wanted to demonstrate to them so that they would trust God, not Paul. Yet we, we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this work of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are passing away. This present age is going to pass away. It's going to be gone. And their rulers will be gone. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God pre predestined before the ages to our glory. Says God predestined these things. He determined these things to happen long before and that was for our glory but we need to put our trust in him the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood for if they had understood if they had understood it they would not have crucified the Lord of glory but just as it is written things which the eye have not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered into the heart of man all that God has prepared for those who love him 
So God has prepared things from the beginning for those that do love it. Those that don't, don't. They've had an opportunity. They can hear if they will. If they will. You know, that, that's another thing Brother Tyler brought out in, in teaching children. Some will hear, some will love. Some will take it to heart, and others just say, throw the old man off, you know, <laughs> we don't need him, you know, and they go off and do their own thing, and they're the ones you oftentimes are pulling out of the jail cell. Okay. Verse 10, he says, for to us, God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Wait a minute. Ain't that Spirit knows what God himself is thinking? God the Father? There are three in one. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they are one. They're unified. They say the same thing constantly, without exception. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man, which is in him? So I don't know Tony's thoughts. I don't know Tyler's thoughts, or Joe's, or, or yours. You know, I don't. I don't know somebody else's thinking. What they're thinking. Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the Spirit of God. That Spirit knows what God's thinking. That Holy Spirit. And we are directed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, we're on the same way. We're on the same channel. We're, we're, we're doing the same things. Mm -hmm. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. So there's a difference. You know, we, we read the Bible and we say, oh, well, those Jews were kind of under pretty strict guidelines back there. Brother Tyler brought this up. They, not only their children, but they were the children of Israel, the children of Abraham. They were children too. The adults were. Aren't we all children? <laughs> you know, in a way. None, none, of, none of us gets fully grown up. Right? Even when we think we have. But I have. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but 
in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thought with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned or praised. They are praised by a, a spirit that is in alignment with him, if you will. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Now, that's a question. Can we instruct God? <laughs> well, oftentimes we'd like to, but we can't. We can't do that. But look at the next phrase there. Verse 16. The last half of that verse says, But we have the mind of Christ. Those who are led by the Spirit are led by the same Spirit that Jesus was led by. And so we have the mind of Christ by God's grace, by His unmerited favor, something we didn't deserve. But we can have money first. Yeah. Okay. So what is required of us for that to happen? For us to yield, do what God wants of us? It's simple, isn't it? <laughs> No. We get pretty tough sometimes. No, ma'am. When the flesh gets in the way and the our own ideas come in and we want to do those things that we want to do. But if we will do that, we have the mind of Christ. If we will yield to His will for us. Now you'll notice in all the things that Brother Tyler said there, God had instructions to Abraham, to Israel, to everyone. everyone. Joshua had instructions. They were given instructions to follow for their own good. Not, not for God's good, but for their good. If they didn't do it, who was to blame? God? No. We have to get a mirror. Okay, there's the culprit right there. <laughs> we get in God's way when He wants to bless us. And if we give ourselves over to God's service, to trust in God with our lives, with our our fortunes, our actions, the, the things that we do on a daily basis, we will be blessed. 
if we don't, we have no one to blame but ourselves. Yeah. Well, that's what I have for you this morning. And uh, I hope you were blessed as much as I was. There's an awful lot that I didn't put in those notes, but you probably just as well I there are many places you can, you can go throughout this book and you'll see God's will and God's way and everybody else's. <laughs> if things aren't done in God's way, then who's at fault when we fail? Who's at fault when we aren't blessed by God? We can have the mind of Christ we will yield to it. Say, please, come in and live in me. That's what's necessary. That's our requirement. Is to receive God. Acknowledge Him for who He is and realizing who we are. That's what I have. And I appreciate you listening to me. I want you to listen for just a little bit more. Because I've got a song. And this particular song is the song that uh, the title for this message came from. And that is, Give Me, Lord, the Mind of Jesus. I want that. I want it for me. I want it for you. I want it for this church. I want it for this country. I want it for the world. Sitting at the feet of Jesus, oh, what words I hear him say. Happy place so near, so precious. May it find me there each day, sitting at the feet of Jesus. I would look upon the past, for his love has been so gracious, it has won my heart at last. Sitting at the feet of Jesus, where can mortal me be more blessed? There I lay my sins and sorrows, and when weary find sweet rest. Sitting at the feet of Jesus, there I love to weep and pray, while I from his fullness gather grace and comfort every day. Bless me, O oh my Savior, bless me, as I sit low at thy feet. Oh, look down in love upon me, let me see thy face so sweet. Give me, Lord, the mind of Jesus, Make me holy as he is. May I prove I've been with Jesus, who is all my righteousness. We 
don't have any righteousness of our own sake that we can claim. Scripture tells us that all our righteousness is as filthy rags. Not worth anything. But when we dedicate our lives to God's service, He will change our lives and give us an opportunity to serve the way He would have it. Not the way I would have it done, necessarily. Matter of fact, I came here needing a church when I came. And I got put to work right away. <laughs> that wasn't what I had in mind. <laughs> but God's way is better. I assure you of that. God's way is better than mine. Better than yours. Better than anybody's. We have an opportunity to serve God. Amen. Let's sit at Jesus' feet like those little children did. So that we can be blessed in that way. All right. Thank you. Let's stand and be dismissed in prayer. Um, Brother Wayne, would you be dismissed with prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your love and your watching care over us each day. We're thankful to be here in this assembly knowing that you have guided us and directed us in the paths that you'd have us to walk. Lord, if we just have the faith and only believe, we can walk in them. Thank you now for allowing us this privilege to be in here. Thank you for the message that we've just heard. Bless us as we go to our homes. We ask it in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. But children of the heavenly king, but children of the heavenly king may speak their joys abroad, may speak their joys abroad. We're marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upward to Zion, the beautiful city of God. 
the hill of Zion yields a thousand sacred sweets. Before we reach the heavenly fields, before we reach the heavenly fields, or walk the golden streets, or walk the golden streets. We're marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upward to Zion, the beautiful city of God. Then let our songs abound and every tear be dry. We're marching through Emmanuel's ground. We're marching through Emmanuel's ground to fairer worlds on high, to fairer worlds on high. We're marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upward to Zion, the beautiful city of God. I haven't sang that one in a long time. <clears throat> At 
perfect rest to me his promise in my father's house above when my spirit clothed immortal wings its flight to realms of day this my song through endless ages Jesus led me all the way. This my song through endless ages. Jesus led me all the way. Good morning. Good morning. Doing good. Glad to have you with us. Let's see here. Looking to see if they have it in here, but I don't know that they do. I'm still getting used to this book, so looking for. There it is. Haha. Three of three, I think, is what it is. Oh. Oh. Three of four. Number three of four. <clears throat> I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I onward bound, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table land, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. My heart has no desire to stay where doubts arise and fears dismay. Though some may dwell where these abound, my prayer, my aim is higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table land, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. I want to live 
the joyful sound, the song of saints on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table in a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. I want to scale the utmost high and catch a gleam of glory bright. But still I'll pray till heaven I found. Lord, lead me on to higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table and a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. It's good to see everybody this morning. We're missing a few this morning. Let's remember Brother Tony and his uh, him being sick this morning. Um, Sister Donna's sick. Brother Ed and Sister Annie and Sister Barbara are all sick. Um, Brother Patrick uh, just texted me and said that he is better but he had an issue with his car battery this morning so he's not that's why he's not here this morning so he needs a new car battery so he says i just didn't have enough juice to turn it over this morning so let's remember remember him as well and uh remember sister jean she's having a little bit of issues this morning feeling some dizzy um any other prayer requests this morning John Michael is not feeling well. Remember Tammy and her household this morning. Um, remember, um, Brother Daryl Ellis, I mentioned a couple of, uh, for the last couple months, um, he had an issue with his heart. He ended up having AFib. So they have took him to the ER this week, and he's doing okay. He and I have been talking back and forth about our, our health issues. Um, remember me, I've got a, I've got an echocardiogram tomorrow at one o'clock. Um, hopefully get some more answers and a follow-up with my cardiologist on Wednesday. Um, so remember me and then I'll have another test the following Wednesday. Um, Lord willing. So lots going on. Um, let's remember, um, those of our sister churches and those were that are in need of prayer. Um, I do want to mention um, Traskwood. Um, a couple, they have a couple of things going on there. Sister Angelie Head, one of their church members, uh, it's a daughter to Dale Beck, Dale and Carolyn Beck. So uh, she had a trach placed this week. She was having issues with her oxygen, so they placed a trach on her. She's been in the hospital for a few weeks, and um, she's doing better. They placed the procedure. She's going to do, I guess, rehab now before she goes home. And then their son, Jeff, had a car accident this week and broke his leg and shoulder. So he's in a wheelchair. They put a ramp in at home. So he's going to have a while for recovery. And then Sister Paula Dovers is going to have another foot surgery on Sunday. So, or on Monday. So 
she's they were asking for prayers for them um of course lots of things going on uh so let's remember those that are traveling those that are those of our number that are sick and need a prayer continue remember sister judy as she goes through her cancer treatments and addie and Rhonda. let's remember them as well so any other prayer requests this morning um, I do know your um, friend, the trial, that pre-trial started this week, so I think they said, Karen said, I think they're waiting for, the trial will be probably next summer, so, so just remember, just remember their, their family, um, and, uh, remember, um, my dad, I mentioned he's having some health issues, so, and he's, um, trying to go on disability because of his health issues so just remember him and my family back home so um, no other prayer requests this morning we'll go to the Lord in a word of prayer Brother Dennis would you mind lead us in a word of prayer please This morning, if you'll turn with me to Zechariah chapter 3, I hesitate it'll be a short message. I've only got three places to go this morning, but I hesitate to say it'll be a short message. <laughs> so, Zechariah chapter 3, it's one of the minor prophets over in the latter part of the Old Testament. <clears throat> and we'll look at uh, chapter 3 specifically, uh, first seven verses there. It says, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is it not uh, this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was, was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel. And he spoke and said to those who were standing before him, saying, Remove the filthy garments from him. And again, he said to him, See, I have taken your iniquity away from you and will clothe you with festal robes. And I said, Let them put the clean turban on his head. And so they put the clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments while the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways and if you will perform my service, then you will also govern my house. And also have charge of my courts, and I will grant you free access among those, among these who are standing here. It's a pretty interesting depiction he, he places here. He has, of course, the high priest standing before the Lord, 
And of course, Satan is standing there accusing Joshua, as it seems to say. This is standing at the right hand to accuse him. So whatever it was that was going on with Joshua, that the Lord was that the Lord was there before him and Satan was there accusing him. It's an interesting statement there, don't you think, that Satan was standing there to accuse Joshua of something? But yet, what does the angel tell him there? He says, he says, Now Joshua was clothed with a filthy garment standing before the angel. And they said, Remove the garments. And then he says there, See, I've taken away your iniquity away from you and will clothe you with festal robes. It says there in the latter part of that verse, he was admonished and said, look, if you'll walk in my ways, if you'll perform my service, then you will also govern my house and have charge of my courts and I will grant you free access among these who are standing here. I think that the picture here is pretty clear. Righteousness is not derived from ourself, is it? But it's from the Lord. He reckons the righteousness as he wills it, to us but what does he ask from us he pretty plainly here states to jo- uh, to joshua the high priest he says walk in my ways and perform my services it's a pretty simple directive enough don't you think we know according to historical accounts that the high priest was responsible for overseeing the house of god and administering to the to the people of Israel, services before the Lord. That include overseeing the sacrifices. That included um, ministrations of the temple and the people of Israel. They were the chief ambassador for the Lord. The only person that was able to enter into the holiest of holies in the temple to perform service to the Lord. And as we know, based on historical accounts in the scripture, if that person was unclean when they entered the holiest of holies, what happened? They tied a rope around him, and he would if he was unworthy, he would be struck dead, wouldn't he? He was chief representative for the children of Israel there. So here we have this. He's, his garments are sold. There it paints a pretty interesting picture. His garments are sold. What does that sound like? Sounds like most of us, doesn't it? What does it say? Our righteousness is as filthy rags. So we shouldn't count ourselves to be higher than we are. The Lord asks us to be humble in our service and to be lowly. What does he say? Meek and, meek and mild in some places, in some translations there. But then he says, remove the garments. How do you guys consider that our, of course, Scripture says our righteousness is as filthy rags that we bring those things to the Lord and we let Him clothe us with His, with His righteousness. But it requires us to do something very, very specific. To humble ourselves. To know that we can't do this on our own. That we must submit ourselves to the Lord and place our Burdens at his feet. Was he talk about my yoke is easy and my burden is light? The chief priest here, 
by all accounts of humankind, he would have the ability to be lifted up above everybody else, wouldn't he? By the world standards. But yet the Lord here tells him to humble himself, to go after, to follow after his ways, to remove his garments, and he's got sold garments. I ought to tell you that none of us have the position that we think we do in life, or we should. We shouldn't think that. Let's look at Revelations chapter 12. Revelations chapter 12. Verse 10 is where we're going to look. Just a few short verses here. Of course, it's talking about Michael and the angels waging war against the dragon in the end times. But specifically, I want to pay close attention to just these three verses. It says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his, of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren have been thrown down, who accuses them before God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even to death. For this reason rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath and knowing that he is the only, only there for a short time. These three passages of Scripture here that we just read paints the picture of whom has the authority and the ability to provide salvation. It only comes from God. Notice he says there, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and authority of his Christ have come. He says, Of course, the accuser of your brethren stands there not day. Does that sound familiar like we read over there? Just a little familiar like we did in Zechariah chapter 3 where Satan stood accusing Joshua. But he says there, They have overcome him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even to, even to death. What was it that they did that was different than the rest of the world? They submitted themselves under the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It says they didn't love their own life, so they served the Lord. That's what, that's what it's talking about there. even to death. And it says, for this reason, the heavens rejoice, you who dwell in them. He goes on and says, woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has come down to you to have great wrath knowing that he has a short time. I don't, I've heard this said before, the sea there gives reference, not literal physically, but the domain of men. Of course, the sea is the masses of humanity in some in some instances, that's what the sea is referring to. So humanity and the earth and its state there are going to be what? They're going to be subject to the wrath of Satan, isn't it? But yet at the beginning there, it says the people that have submitted themselves to the Lord, they are, they're going to overcome. 
because of the blood of, of Jesus. Because of the word of their testimony. What does testimony mean? It's that it means to give witness, doesn't it? Give an accounting. So they gave an accounting of Christ. Of course, that's because they've submitted themselves to the Lord there. So our, I believe the scripture here is pretty direct. We have to submit ourselves to the Lord to obtain that salvation there. Of course, it doesn't come again from our own righteousness, but it's derived from that of the Lord, whom delivers us. Look at Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah chapter 49. Verse 20 of Isaiah chapter 49. <clears throat> it says... The children of whom you were bereaved will yet say in your ears, This place is too cramped for me. Make room for me that I may live here. Then you shall say in your hearts, Who has begotten these for me, since I have been bereaved of my children, and am exiled and barren and exiled and a wanderer? And who has reared these? Behold, I was left alone. From where did these come? Thus says the Lord God. Behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations and set my standard to the peoples, and they will bring your sons in their bosom, and your daughters will be carried on their shoulders, and the kings will be your guardians, and their princesses your nurses. They will bow down to you and their faces to the earth and lick the dust from your feet, and you will know that I am the Lord. Those who hopefully wait for me will not be put to shame. Can the Pray, then be taken from the mighty man, or the captive of the tyrant be rescued? Surely thus the Lord says, Even the captives of the mighty men will be taken away, and the prey of the tyrant will be rescued. For I will contend with the one who contends with you, and I will save your sons, and I will feed your oppressors with their own flesh. And they will become drunk with their own blood as with the sweet wine, and all flesh will know that I am the Lord your Savior, and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. So again, here you see a pretty gruesome picture de uh, depicted here by the Lord. He says that all of creation will be subject to his people, right? That's what it says there. Of course, you have a servant here that says, I've been, I've been bereaved of my children. He goes on there and he says, Lord, Lord God says to him, he says, I will lift, lift up my hand to the nations and set my standard to the peoples. The Lord will place them under his subjection. They will be subject to him. He talks about the princes and the kings, what they will do. They will minister. They will be your protectors. They will be your guardians. Why? Because they're subject to the Lord. Prince, princesses. So it talks about those people of status will be made low. Why? Because their power and authority was only given to them by the Lord. 
and they're subject to him, no matter whether they knowingly or unknowingly do it, they're still going to have to carry out what the Lord tells them to do. Isn't that right? Why else would he say, he says, I make to set up kings and I'll take them down. It says then, he talks about the reprieve. He says, okay, you're going to be the, the prey of the tyrant, prey of the mighty men. Those will be what? They'll be rescued. They'll be delivered. The most important thing I see there just before it mentions that is those who hopefully wait for me will not be put to shame. I know one of the things we talk about is that this life is exhausting. The things that we were talking this morning before services started about the difficulties that we've had, the illness, all of these things. The rules of the land, the things that are burdensome to us. We have to remember we endure these things for the sake of the Lord. We won't be disappointed. The oppressions and things that we face in this life will be for a short time for us. The thing that we need to remember, of course, is like over in Zechariah chapter 3, is that if we do the things of the Lord, if we subject ourselves to minister to the Lord's house and to do those things, be a, be a witness to the world and to those around us, that the Lord will exalt us in due time. And it doesn't come from us, it comes from the Lord. Scripture talks about doing things to be seen before all men. He even warned the Pharisees and the scribes about such actions to be seen before men. That they'll receive their reward in the present life. And the life to come, they won't receive any of those blessings. But here we see, of course, the Lord talking about delivering them from captivity. Those that are sub that they are subject to will be their protectors and ministering to them. And then he goes on and says, I'll give the enemies their own flesh. I'll save your sons, but they'll, they'll be feeding off their own flesh. I mean, drunk with the wine of their own blood, a sweet wine. Why? For the purpose of them understanding that the Lord is the one that is the Savior, is the one that delivers us. And the instruction he gives us here is that, in this case, is that we submit to him. And we do the ministrations of his of his service to others, to one another. Let's look over there in uh, Isaiah chapter fifty. Here, I think this one's good for us to look over as well. Isaiah chapter fifty. We'll start in verse seven. There it says, "For the Lord God helps me; therefore I am not disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like flint." And I know that I shall not be ashamed. He who vindicates me is near. And he who will, contend, who will contend with me, let us stand up to each other who has a case against me. Let him draw near to me, and behold, the Lord God helps me. Who is he who condemns me? Behold, they will all wear out like a garment, and the moth will eat them. And who against amongst you that fears the Lord 
that obeys the voice of his servant and walks in darkness and has no light. Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire and who encircle yourselves with firebrands, walk in the light of your fire, and among the brands you have set ablaze. This you will have from my hand, and you will lie down in torment. Who is it that takes care of us? Who is it that vindicates us, takes and confronts all of those that would do us harm? It's the Lord. It's not us. Why else would he say, vengeance is mine? Thus I will repay, right? That's not, that's not for us. It's easy for us to say that we want to repay our enemies what they've done to us, right? But that's not what the Lord tells us to do. He tells us to leave room for the wrath of God. Why? Scripture mentions, be still to know that I am God. He talks to his, He's talking to the nation of Israel there. Why? Because he does all that for us. Judgment and vindication is not ours, it's the Lord's. We just need to be willing to do exactly what he instructed Joshua to do. Lay aside our, take our garments off, lay them aside, and to do the, the things that he has called us to do as his people. Our job as the, the church is to show the world who the light is. To have the love of the Lord in our hearts. To give our whole life over to Him. That's the expectation that He gave to Joshua over there. That's the example that Jesus set out for us as well. So I would have us consider these things. Reminder that we can't administer salvation to anyone. The only thing we're expected to do is to be a vessel, to live our life, fashion our life in the likeness of Christ. As adopted children, that's what we are asked to do in the New Testament there. That's the directive. Are we going to be perfect? No. Rather, let Christ be perfected in us. That's the directive. Scripture is chock full of examples of those that were given this directive that didn't do it. And what happened to them? So I would encourage us as we go through this week is to draw our strength from the Lord and to lay aside what it is that is not acceptable in the Lord's sight. Strengthen one another, encourage one another in the work. And do exactly what we promised to do before Him when we made our commitment to serve the Lord. That's all I have for you this morning.
very short message. 